Oh, yeah. Let's get this party started up in here. Whoop, whoop. Hey, this is Mark. You're listening to this show probably on your mobile device, whether it's iOS or Android or even Windows Mobile. <laughs> Who has one of those? Uh, but anyway, you're probably listening, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or some other wonderful mobile app that brings this amazingly awesome show to your ear holes. Yeah. But did you also know that you can find this show, among several others in this category, at the Tangent Bound Network? That's right. Go visit TangentBoundNetwork.com. Check it out where you can always get the latest episode of this and other shows quite like it. Although, admittedly, there is no show quite like this one. Hey, this is Brad Geiger from Evil Incorporated, and when I'm not spreading terror into the hearts of good people everywhere, I'm listening to Adrian Has Issues, one of my favorite podcasts. Take it away, Adrian. Hey guys, welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian, and today I am joined by two very, very awesome guests. They are the writer and artist of a book called Oathbound, which, as of this recording, has been successfully funded by Kickstarter and has a couple of hours to go. But we're going to talk about the book anyway, because I feel like this one is just too cool to not mention and have you guys on. So without further ado, here's Kevin Cuff and Paul Gorey. How's it going, guys? Hey, hey, Adrian. How's it going? I'm Kevin. Hi. Thank you for having us. I'm Paul. Thank you. I was trying to have you guys on for a while, and I was hoping to get you before the Kickstarter launch, but then you'd be surprised how quickly time goes as you're getting things going. But first off, congratulations on a successful funding. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. So how is it that you guys actually got together? We got together through Twitter, basically. Paul was suggested on my Twitter feed early on when I first joined Twitter. So I started following him and looking at his artwork, and one day I saw something he had drawn that looked good, but like a little off. So like, I've been following this guy for a little while. Hopefully he doesn't think I'm a jerk by telling him that this doesn't look right. But I told him and he was like, hey, now I kind of I kind of see what you're saying. Thanks for pointing that out. Like in, in a tasteful way, I really appreciate that. You know, I wasn't overly critical. So but he was like, I, I expected harsher criticism than this. And I really appreciate your input from there. Basically, uh, I had posted something about participating in the top cow talent hunt, even though uh, my first participation was kind of a flop. Paul basically was like, maybe we should just try to do something together. Yeah, that sounds great. That was how I remember it. <laughs> you say that with such disdain, like, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> that's the short version, yeah. I mean, I've been working on a book for a while now with a friend of mine named Anthony Davis, and when I started working on social media, I was really green. I didn't, I mean, I'm still green. I just didn't really know how to network on social media, and Kevin and I hit it off right away, and I had drawn a a picture of a uh, Spider-Man Kevin had messaged me and said, Hey, this is really great. Do you mind if I give you a suggestion? I said, sure, go right ahead. And he was like, well, the spider on his chest is a little small. And I kind of laughed. I was like, that's, that was it. You know, like I was expecting something like, Oh, this looks like shit, you know, like, but he was really cool about it. He was like, I oh, just, the spider looks a little small and we kind of make it bigger. And I was like, yeah, no problem. And, and then I think within a few days, I had seen him post something about him submitting to the Top Cow Talent Hunt. And I, I just messaged him something like, good luck. And he was like, thanks. And that was when we first started actually talking, talking. And I was like, we should do something sometime. It would be kind of fun, you know? You seem like a cool cat. So Kevin immediately got my phone number and we started talking on the phone. And we've been on our bromance, I guess you could say, since that day. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, we became really fast friends. I think the first time we talked, we were kind of feeling each other out with our, you know, our sensors. But uh, we connected right away because we're both, you know, we both have kids. He has a son and I have three sons. And that was the first thing we connected with. And then the second thing we connected with was comic books. And then after that, it turned into, you know, talking about girls and, and <laughs> everything. And we just connected. And he's been like my brother ever since. So it's been a good experience because of that. 
Don't tell him I told you this, but he's a nice guy. <laughs> you guys actually like each other? I mean, oh no, this is shocking revelations. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we've been working with each other for so long. There's been times where we're so far down the rabbit hole of friendship that there's been certain situations where we have bumped heads. But we've been able to differentiate our professional relationship and our personal relationship very well. And there's times when Kevin does get under my skin professionally, and I do the same. And we express it right away. And there's been times where we're yelling at each other on the phone. But immediately, as soon as the conversation's over, we're very quick to be like, are you okay? Yeah, man, I'm cool. All right, cool. You know, we kind of verbally hug it out, and, and it's it's always worked for us. And I don't think it's ever gotten to the point where we've gotten off the phone. I'm like, fuck that, dude. Nothing like that. <laughs> There's been certain times where miscommunication is the only problem that we've ever had, and that's something you can't control sometimes. Right. Even with your, your spouses or your parents, your, your best friend, you, however you want to call it, there's always going to be a scenario of miscommunication. And, and we've had that happen a couple times, but we catch it right away. I mean, this this guy's basically like the uncle of my children that they've never met. I'm getting all emotional. It's very refreshing to hear on two fronts. On one end, it is, it just sounds terrible, but it is kind of refreshing because a lot of times you think about creative teams and throughout history, whether it be, you know, comics or in this case, comics, where you always hear about the good stuff, but you never really hear too many people go out of the way and say, you know what, there's a lot of times where we have actually just fought each other, <laughs> you know, and yeah. not in a really hurtful way. Like you said, like you're really just throwing stones or trying to be hurtful. But again, when you're dealing with the creative process and let's be honest, any creator will tell you that, you know, there's times where your ego kind of gets in the way and sometimes you don't see things from a certain point of view. So you kind of butt heads and you go back and forth on it. The fact that you guys do that, acknowledge it, but then we'll try to keep that from getting too personal. That's also, like I said, it's very refreshing, but also you guys are on completely different sides of the country. Yeah. The good thing is that the internet connects a lot of creative teams now. Like, I don't think uh, the only person that I'm close to distance-wise on the creative team is Micah Myers, the letterer. Uh, he's, he's like, across a, a bridge and some water, so about, about an hour away from where I live. Oh, nice. Shout out to Micah, by the way. He's been on the show, uh, I think it's back in episode 42 or 43. Really good guy. Yeah, and he and he lettered our book. He's a really great guy. And uh, Sean, our, our editor, he's in Seattle. Paul's in California. Our flatter, she's in Brazil, and our colorist wow. is in Mexico. We kind of have a globe-trotting team, if you will. <laughs> These intrepid adventurers. Exactly. It's like Johnny Quest or something. <laughs> it does get a little tedious at times. I think Kevin and I are, well, now, because we got Sean on board like the past year or so, I would say, maybe less than a year, but like five the, months. the three of us are the ones that communicate the most and everybody else is basically there when they can be because they're all tied up with other projects. So Sean and I are on the same time zone. So Sean and I can be talking for hours and Kevin will be asleep or, you know, vice versa. Sometimes Sean is up super late, which is actually early for Kevin. It's really weird how it works out, but it, it has worked out perfectly fine. I mean, especially with like the Kickstarter, we had these little time slots where we were working and Kevin would get one shift, I'd get one shift, and then Sean would get a shift and it just worked out because it's so damn tedious. Right. It's been really, really hard. So it's taken its toll on each one of us, the three of us, what I'm talking about, Sean, our editor and Kevin and I, we've all had a moment where we've just were burnt out. Kevin had to take a couple days. There was one weekend where I was like, don't even call me. I just needed to spend time with my family and just focus on my kids and my wife and Kevin, you know, there are times where he had to focus on his son, you know, his girlfriend and Sean, you know, he's married. So it's been pretty daunting, but it's at the same time, it's one of the most rewarding things I've ever had because I've been able to grow so close to all these people that we work with. The result of it, though, is that you basically prevailed. It looks like it's met with a lot of challenge, but I guess ultimately you could say it's still worth it, though, right? Absolutely. Yeah. There was a lot of doubt going in, like, should we do this for two issues? Should we do this and should we do that? So there's a lot of questioning what makes a good tier and what gets people interested in your project enough to where they're willing to pledge money. Because Kickstarter is basically you're just trying to get a pre-order for your book. 
That's the bottom line. But it's got to be interesting enough and have a little a little bit of extras that are related, per se, to the book, but not exactly comic books. So that's where the challenge comes in, because you have to kind of get into marketing at that point. And you're not the first person to say that. It's the truth, though. And at the, and the bottom line, we're comic book creators. My day job is in sales, but it's not the same. It's really just not because you're not only marketing your product, but you're marketing yourself and your tchotchkes and other things that go with the product. And it's really difficult at some level because not what you signed up for in some in some way. Like you're you're signing up to create comics, but you also have to realize that you're marketing yourself. Like Paul's marketing himself as an artist, I'm marketing myself as a writer. Very tedious. Like you said, totally worth it. But month and a half planning because we thought we just got to put this together and get a book and stuff like that. And Sean's like, no. <laughs> it was pretty funny because it took a really long time. And I believe Sean went to school for marketing and he was able to map out this entire Kickstarter. It did take a while, but he would sit down with us for almost two hour sessions and we would sit there on Skype and we would talk and Sean plays this role where he'll weigh the pros and cons. He'll be like, Kevin, what are your concerns? Kevin will be like, I don't know if we should do two issues. I just don't, you know, we're basically nobodies. And he had a point. Nobody knows who we are still to this day. And that's just the nature of the beast. Nobody's going to know us unless the book is successful outside of Kickstarter. And this medium, it, it's such a small group of people throughout the world that even if we were to be extremely successful, it's a very small little inkling, you know what I mean? Which is fine, but the point that I'm trying to get across is Kevin had a valid point. He was concerned, and I understood Kevin's concerns, and it was really weird. I was a lot like Switzerland during World War II. I was just kind of sitting there going, well, let's just do what we got to do. And then there was times where I'd be like, no, I think Sean's got a point. We should do two issues. And one day Kevin would be up, and he'd be like, no, I don't know if this is going to work. And, and I would you know, assure him it's going to be fine. We got to just put our faith in this. We're doing the right thing. And then there was days where I would be freaking out and Kevin would be like, we're good. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, man. Majority of the time, we were going back and forth. Basically, we're trying to feel comfortable. Originally, we were going to do three issues. And that was the funny part. And Kevin and I both finally agreed and said, no, that's just not. It's too many. Yeah, it's uh, too many to commit ourselves to. And, and, and we would have to be asking for a, sh a ton load of money. And <laughs> that's okay. You could totally just say shitload because I think you're about right. It was a shitload. It would have been a shitload of money. So we were just like, there's no way that's going to happen. Now, knowing what we know and having been able to kind of figure certain things out and we know what we're going to do on the next Kickstarter after everything is said and done. And we have a, a, a very solid plan. I'm convinced that if if and when we well we will do another Kickstarter at some point, but when that happens, I believe it's going to run a lot smoother. Yeah, it would be a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. This was just like I was ready to kill somebody. I was like, I'm going to murder somebody. He's like, I actually did. Yeah, no, it, it, it was that. It, it, I mean, we were checking it constantly for the first two first two, two weeks. Two weeks. It was. It was like, did you check it? Yeah, I checked it. Did you check it? Yeah, I checked it. We were like texting back and forth. I'd have it on my screen the whole time while I was drawing, and it was just, um, it was insane. I have the utmost respect for anybody, comic creator or otherwise, who does a Kickstarter, because it's like, my anxiety gets bad when I post, like, a podcast episode, and I'm wondering to see if it's going to do well, or if anyone's going to, like, even listen to it. So I can't imagine when you've got money riding on a line, and this is, I don't want to say make or break, but, you know, you put your heart into a project, and you want to see it to fruition, so... You know, I would probably be like popping Xanax every five seconds, just hoping to think it's funded. <laughs> I'm like breaking out to a cold sweat. Like, we're never going to get funded. I'm like, dude, it's only day three. Yeah, I think you summed it up with that. Uh, we, we didn't pop any Xanax, but it was kind of like uh, the ups and downs of Kickstarter is is kind of is kind of crazy because someone will back you and they'll they, you'll be like, yeah, and then they'll back out. And, and not to call those people what? out or anything, you know, but, but what ends up happening is they they see the amount of money that they're that they're pledging and then they're it gets intimidating and some of that stuff you know we've tried to price reasonably like uh like us working on a book for you we try to price it to where you're basically paying for the materials and not for the time without overcharging you based on what we would need to get if we were doing a book separately because a big part of our kickstarter was we want to make sure everybody that worked on the book with paul and i since we were co-creators was paid so that's right. that's a hard part to do because a lot of these guys, like especially Edwin Zaldivar, our colorist, has been there for a, like a long time for us. 
and been very loyal to us, despite that he has other uh, obligations to like Xenoscope to color books. And so we had to be understanding of his time, first of all, and then the fact that he's taking out of his time to color our book for us at a rate that he per se wouldn't get like, like the Xenoscope would give him more. So he's, he's doing that because he believes in the project. So we got to make sure this dude gets his money because it's only fair to him having taken the time out of his schedule to color the book to, to get what he deserves. So it, it, it comes back to that again at the end. Like we wanted to make sure that everybody was getting not only what they were worth and then some, but, our thanks and undying praise for their loyalty because um, without without guys like Edwin or Micah or, or even Sean, especially Sean, that kind of stuff, we would have never got this far. We definitely couldn't have done it without it. I mean, Ramon, who did the website, the, he does my cleanup digitally, Paula, the flats, everybody that's involved has done a really, really good job. But yeah, Edwin and, and Ramon have been there the longest, I would say. Right. And then remote, you know, we had a, 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 we have our website that we put up, I don't know, like four or five months ago. And Ramon, uh, Hitzroth runs the, the website. And it's funny. Kevin might, might agree with me on this or, or not. But at one point, Ramon was the hardest working guy in the whole crew. He was just doing so much and he's not getting paid. That's the funny part. He's, he's doing everything that he's, he's doing because he is genuinely interested in this medium and he just really likes the book to the point where i finally was like you know what (laughs) we gotta gotta give you something we gotta give you something right because we were basically on empty we didn't have any more money in our funds and he started doing digital cleanup for me on one of the books that i was working on and i used money from that to pay him i was lucky enough to be able to pay him from one of my credit cards it was i was really lucky and we we just we were able to pay him to work on Oathbound and now he's part of the crew and now he's done so much that now he's starting to venture off into digital inking so everybody's benefited from it in some way shape or form the fact that even with everything with all the challenges and such what i think really helps you guys and others is that there's still a love of professionalism you still make sure that you treat every part of your creative team with equal respect that they deserve. And I know that sounds very trait, but I think at the end of the day, that's what really helps out a lot of people is maintaining that respect and just treating everybody well. You know, you're not trying to basically get a whole bunch of money to be rock stars. That's really commendable. Thank you. I mean, that that's one thing that we were yeah trying to do is be transparent. That's why we put a pie graph chart up on the Kickstarter is like, this is where the money's going. So you guys don't think we're just trying to ask for a bunch of money that goes in our pockets? Cause well, I mean, comics are expensive, though. <laughs> yes, they're expensive to make. It's weird because when you sell a book for like five bucks, people look at it and go, well, you're not Marvel or DC. What gives you the right to charge five bucks? Uh, because I bled over this thing, dude. That's what I tell people. I bled over it. So you- oh, I was going to say, could I have that copy you bled on? That's a hell of a Kickstarter reward. <laughs> I mean, if, if you want one that I bled on, I, I mean, I can do that. I can prick a finger. I mean, we're in the final hours of the Kickstarter now, but I mean, it, it, that that doesn't escape us for a reward. By the pricking of my thumb, something wicked this way comes. I will I will bleed on your book. Oh, see, wh- watch me say that, though, and then like I'll make a tweet about it. And next thing you know, for like the next 10 hours, everybody wants a book with blood in it. And it's like, Kevin, I don't know if you could do this or not. <laughs> They're getting a little pale there, buddy. We got time. I'm already pale, so it might be bad. Uh, but it, it might be. <laughs> the worst part about it would be um, I just have to go to the blood bank. You know, there's benefits to having your girlfriend be a nurse. So. Nice. Like, I don't know if you've seen the episode of The Simpsons where, like, Sideshow Bob keeps sending, like, the notes written in his blood to uh, Bart, and he's sitting there, like, pricking his finger, and he starts, like, getting really, like, dizzy. He starts passing out. That's what probably would happen. So I just have to get her, like, I, I mean, she, she's really good with a needle. So I'm like, all right, now I just need to, like, be, like hook, hook it up, and, and then I'm just going to hook it up to a pen and just sign it. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Meanwhile, Paul's like, look, this is this is what I have to put up with. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, uh, so we should probably get into a little bit of Oathbound, though, because I was looking it over. And as someone who loves offbeat Westerns and fantasy epics, like this was just right up my alley. So I guess it's possible. Do a little bit of an elevator pitch as to what Oathbound is about. I'll let you handle this one, Paul. I usually uh, do. You, you got it this time, bro. I always do it. Uh, all right. All right. All right. Um, basically, Oathbound is a tale of family love and redemption set in a alternate version of the old west 
our story starts in our main character's past and it continues into his present day whereabouts. He, he's become a father. He used to be an outlaw and he was beholden to no one and, and nothing. And the, his past basically comes to haunt him as he's become a father. He's a single dad to a 15 year old girl named Viola. She's half human and half elven. And we pretty much open up the book on her 15th birthday. From the get-go, we wanted to show that the book's not your father's western, so that's why you know it opens up. There's a jackalope and such. So world has been has become infused with fantasy-type beings from a portal called mythics, and the population of the old west is a majority of mythics. The human population is more in the eastern side of the country. There's reasons for all that that we explain, and that's why we, we, we basically have it on the Kickstarter that we, we're willing to do an Oathbound Bible. It basically tells you why that is and what happened to, to drive the mythics westward. And so that's the crux of the story. So at, at heart, it's a father-daughter story about uh, redemption. How far is your past really, and does it affect your relationships with your loved one? It especially hits home because, as you guys explained earlier, you, know, you both have children, so that, that's a really cool premise. When we started talking about it, one of the things I said to Paul is, as much as people want to say they know the story of their parents, do they really? Like, you know, you really don't know all the intricacies that went into the story of your parents. You know what they told you. That's part of the story is how Cole interacts with her mom and the way that they kind of had a love for each other and and how she came to exist. Because I can say honestly, like, I know what my parents told me, but I don't know the intricacies of their tale. And I've heard some of them from my older siblings. Right, exactly. But it doesn't mean, like, even their view is different than the view your parents would have. So, like, that's interesting to me in a storytelling perspective. You know, I wanted to show her perspective on her being from two cultures, um, being, you know, uh, part elven and part human. I, I wanted to show that in a way. Wherein it relates to common culture today, because there's a lot of people who are from two cultures that are in America and abroad that are Asian and, and white or they're black and white and they're not sure which culture they relate to more. When you ask on a job interview or something, which culture they claim, it's very interesting to me for that because it's not as important as being an American, you know, overall, but to them, it's, it's to someone who is bicultural, biracial. It's got to be very hard because you're not trying to deny either side of you. You're, you're basically trying to own up for everything you are. So how, right. how difficult is it to straddle that fence? You know, For me, it has a lot of the elements that I personally love from Spaghetti Westerns and just Westerns in general. It has elements of revenge and redemption and certain, you know, aspects of love and relationships and stuff like that but it's a good marriage between the both genres i it was something that we worked really long and hard on and we wanted to get it to the point where we felt that it, we were giving respect to both it's kind of funny we we went as any co-creators probably do we went back and forth so many times even while we were already working on the first version of the book because kevin had written the first draft of the, of the issue and I uh, drew half of it and um, we wound up not using that. We wound up going back in and redoing it. It's funny because when we sit back and we look at those pages or I've read that script, I'm like, geez, dude, it's good. And I still love it. But we were unintentionally not respecting the genres the way that we are now. It wasn't because we didn't care. It was because we really were dealing it out. And we, we basically jumped the gun and we were like, let's just get this done. And like, <laughs> I think that now what you're able to see was the outcome of us learning slowly. We're still learning, but issue two is going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. Speaking of spaghetti westerns, were there any particular films that you were inspired by in writing the story? <laughs> Uh, that's a good question, because uh, Paul is a super big fan of Spaghetti Western. I was more familiar with like the popular ones, and I knew a couple of the more obscure uh, Spaghetti Westerns, like Quentin Tarantino, saying stuff about them and stuff. But uh, Paul would be like, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? And he would set me up with links to see scenes from these movies. And I would go out and find them or rent them on um, the Xbox Marketplace. <laughs> I would watch these things to get more of a spaghetti western background because that's where Paul's area of expertise to mine. Any stuff was easier for me to tell him, hey, man, check this out and look at this and let's do this. And in fact, in, in issue one, there's an homage to Ridley Scott's movie Legend. 
Love that movie. Gave me nightmares for years, but I still love it. We came up with a, an homage to that in there that wasn't actually like we didn't steal anything. We just kind of gave it uh, a similar flavor because of a certain elements. But yeah, there was spaghetti Western films to answer the question more bluntly. My name is Trinity was one that Paul told me to watch. Um, Django, Day of Anger. Oh, the list is endless. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> the Man with No Name trilogy. <laughs> so, were there any then, like I guess, fantasy epics or stories that then you put on Paul's like, here, you got to check these out before we get started. Majority of them he had seen. He wasn't as into them before, so that that's one thing. He he kind of took a di- he came away from a different perspective, I think, uh, this time when he would go check it out or. Listen to yeah, the soundtrack. It's like movies that I that I grew up loving, you know, like Willow, Legend, and a bunch of other movies. Labyrinth. Right. It, it was there was a lot of movies that I had seen, and it's not that I didn't enjoy them. I did. I I loved them growing up. But as I got older, my taste in movies slowly changed. You know, like Willow's still a classic for me. Right. I love Willow like with all my heart, but I cannot sit through it like I could, you know, 10 years ago. That's just the way my brain functions. And, you know, I, I started getting into spaghetti westerns maybe, I don't know, like five, six years ago. It wasn't something that I grew up liking. I, as a matter of fact, it was quite opposite. I was like, God, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I can't stand this shit. And <laughs> it was so boring to me growing up. But then one day I just watched it. And I, I think it was after watching Gran Torino, and I was like, I, I gotta watch this. I gotta actually sit through this movie, and as painful as it's gonna be, I sat through the good, the bad, and the ugly, and immediately I was just blown away. I was like, holy shit! I'm glad I waited till right now to watch this. And that turned into, you know, Once Upon a Time in the West, and then, you know, I started watching movies on YouTube here and there, and. And then there was some movies that I had never seen, but I had always wanted to see. I just never got the opportunity to, to watch them. You know, like, the, I think The Day of Anger was one best example. Like, I had heard the soundtrack millions of times. I was never able to get the movie or find it on the Internet to watch it. And I finally got the Blu-ray, I don't know, like about seven, eight months ago. And I finally sat down and watched it, and I was just like, dude, Lee Van Cleef is a shit. (laughs) I was calling Kevin, I was like, you gotta watch this movie, and he's just like, what? And to me, Lee Van Cleef is like the greatest Western, like spaghetti Western, and people probably will argue with me about it, and that's okay, because everybody has their own opinion. (laughs) It's like, I'll fight you on it regardless. I, it, maybe if we had some beers, then I it might get a little violent. But majority of the time, I'm going to be like, it's cool, man. You have your opinion. Clint Eastwood is the shit, but Lee Van Cleef. There's only one guy, in my opinion, that can surpass Lee Van Cleef, and that's Terrence Hill. My dad is a huge Spaghetti Western fan, and that's one of those things that, well, granted, a lot of things I became a fan over because my dad kind of sat me down and made me watch them. But yeah. I say that with love. But, you know, growing up, I was definitely into fantasies. But as I'm getting older and I'm starting to make the transition into being another version of my dad, I'm like, wow, how did it take me so long to see some of these Westerns are fantastic? Because I'm like, if they didn't have lasers or ninjas in it, I probably wouldn't watch it for a while. You know, that's funny because my dad growing up was the kind of dad that he was like, I'm not going to watch what I want to watch. I'm going to want to watch. I'm going to watch what Paul wants to watch because I'm his only son and he... You know, he kind of conformed to that. He's like, I'm going to spend, you know, I'm going to take him to go see Ghostbusters, Star Wars, all the things that he might not normally enjoy. He sacrificed his time to do it. And I love you, Dad, for that. But it's funny because I never knew my dad liked Spaghetti Westerns. When I started watching them, my dad was like, oh, yeah. My dad actually is the one that told me to watch Once Upon a Time in the West. And when I watched that. I called my dad immediately, and I was like, oh, my God. And he was just like, yeah, it's really good. I was like, yeah. And the only movie I actually ever connected with him when I was younger was any movie with Terrence Hill, you know, Super Fuzz, Super Cop, uh, the, the Trinity series. Those movies I did watch with him because it was something about Terrence Hill. He was just so animated and it, he was brilliant in his delivery. Even though it's not his voice, it was still hilarious because it worked. And it matches his face. Yeah, yeah. It's, just so goddamn, <laughs> it's just so goddamn funny. It's just like when I told Kevin, I was like, you got to watch this scene. I, I think when Kevin and I started talking about the rest of the first arc, I was like, you have to do something for me. 
And he's like, yeah, sure, what? And I was like, you have to have a scene in a bar where you have the main character, Cole, and you have to have him basically slapping the shit out of somebody. And he goes, what? And I go, watch this scene. So I played the scene for him from YouTube from, I believe it's from They Call Me Trinity, and he watched it. And they actually did another version of it in the movie called uh, My Name is Nobody. And it was an exact replica of that scene from Trinity. It was hilarious. It's like this guy just gets smacked left and right by Terrence Hill. And they, you know, they film it in slow motion. So when it plays, it plays fast or whatever, right? Right. Oh, what do they call that? Was it like undercranking or something like that? There's a term for that. I can't remember what it is. My film snob uh, version of me is, like, killing me right now. You've got it, though. Like, it was basically, like, Terrence Hill and this guy having, like, a, a standoff. And he's, like, and it's dubbed, of course. And he's, like, he, he's like, I think you're cheating. And we're going to go outside. But if I if you get a shot of whiskey, this will hurt less. He goes, huh, is that so? So then they go to the bar. And, and before the guy drinks his shot, Terrence Hill drinks his shot, puts his, his shot glass back so he can get another fill of whiskey. Slaps the guy, pulls his gun out, put, puts it to his face, drinks the whiskey, slaps the guy again, pulls the other gun out, puts it to the guy's face, then slaps him a bunch of times and pulls his gun out every time, and then drinks the shot of whiskey again, and then looks at the guy like, huh, okay. And the guy's like, <laughs> getting mad. And so basically he slaps the guy until the guy walks away, and the guy gets to the door, and he goes to draw his gun on him, like, because he's got his back turned, and Terrence Hill draws his gun and shoots the guy. And then goes Holy back and drinks a shot of whiskey. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, crap. Yeah. How disrespectful awesome. is that, though? Because, I mean, you know, there once upon a time, getting slapped, you had to duel because uh, somebody would have had to have died after that. Because there's no way you're getting slapped that many times and, like, you oh, know. Oh, man, they have this guy slap. They have Terrence Hill slapping this guy. Like, actually, the one in My, in my Name is Nobody is, is a... Shorter. It's shorter. No, it's longer, actually. and it's Really? Yeah, it's hilarious because they're doing this drinking game. Like, he basically is hustling these guys and he's pretending that he can't drink and these guys are playing this drinking game where you drink a beer then you throw the cup in the air and then you shoot the cup before it hits the floor and the the more you drink the smaller the glass gets so he starts off with beer and then he ends off with whiskey and by this point nobody's pretending that he is completely shit-faced but he's really not and that's the funny part about it is that you know as the viewer that he's not drunk and right so these guys are sitting there getting all aggravated because every time he makes the shot, but he'll kind of act like he's almost not going to make it, but he makes it. And so at the end of the whole contest, this guy says, you know, you're cheating, and it's hilarious because he's like, really? And he's like, yeah. So they take another one, and then the guy basically calls him out, and they have this big whole exaggerated scene where the guy wants to draw his guns, but nobody pulls his gun, the guy's guns out before him, he pulls out the guy's guns from his holster, and then he puts them back, points them in his face, puts them back in, smacks them, pulls them out, smacks them again with, with one of his... It's really funny, and... He's like, is that too quick for you? You probably missed it. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Smash him three more times. Like, and then oh the God. guy's just, like, all pissed off, and he's just like, you son of a bitch, and he's, like, gr- like grinding his teeth. It's, Hilarious. It's, it's straight-up spaghetti western, but it's really slapstick and it's really well done and like to me those are the the best ones to watch just that's just my opinion and and when i got kevin to watch me he's like man that is too funny you know like that is amazing. so animated and that's the thing that stands out the most he's so animated with his face that it just worked you know and he kind of drew parent hill's face into our main character unintentionally it, he's kind of there you know so that's kind of cool like um it, it's like a throwback to him almost because the, the, the character always has a smirk on his face and so does terrence hill so um um he's got that like called paul called it a stupid smirk but drawn with this stupid smirk and i was like okay show me what you're talking about so he did it and then Terrence Hill does the same stupid smirk, so I was like, you, you realize it? He's like, no, actually, I didn't think about that, but it does. It does. Yeah, because deep down inside, in the back of my head, that, to me... Consciously. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's just, like, it's just there. Like, when I think of the hero in the story, yeah, subconsciously, I go to, to Terrence Hill, because that's what I envision the cowboy in the spaghetti western. And then you got Clint Eastwood, and... And then, you know, little things that, that I think of, like, uh, you know, um, freaking Lee Van Cleef and, and uh, Charles Bronson and 
I kind of forget that Bronson sort of came up in that era because, you know, you think Bronson, you immediately think Death Wish, but then you forget, like, his career kind of spans even further than that. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah, because I hadn't so, seen Once Upon a Time in the West until Paul recommended it. I, I loved it. The oldest movie I ever saw him in was This Property is Condemned with Natalie Wood and Robert Redford. Wait, he was in that? Yeah, he plays the guy that's totally obsessed with Natalie Wood. I, I believe her mom runs a brothel, and he's, like, completely obsessed with her. And then uh, he follows her. I think she goes to New York with Robert Redford, I believe, or Chicago or New York. And he actually finds out where she is. And he's the one that tells, you know, her mom and all that stuff. And yeah, he's really he looks really, really young in that movie. But he looks huge. That's the weird part. It's like I, I knew that Bronson was kind of built. And when you watch Once Upon a Time in the, in the West, he looks physically fit. But in this movie, <laughs> <laughs> That is awesome. There's so many that I'm getting caught up on. So at one point, we may just have to like go online and like just write a compendium. Like, here's what you need to catch up on because I'm just now getting into it. Like I said, as I get older, and I missed out on a lot. Yeah, I can recommend some good ones to you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I got a list. <laughs> I have a, a good collection growing. I started collecting a lot of them on Blur, but now I'm starting to convert to digital download. I just find it to be more convenient, but. There's a list of, of other ones that I have yet to see that I'm really dying to see. Do those still have, like, all the features that you would have, like, let's say, on a Blu-ray? Because, to tell you the truth, I think, to me, that's what makes it, at least having all the special features. Yes and no. Some of them do, but it's not the same. Like, you basically have to fast-forward through everything, and you have to find the part that you're looking for, which is a drag. But I am a little bit different. You know, I mean, there's some movies that I feel that are worth buying it because I want to actually hold the movie in my hand. Right. For instance, I didn't buy the new Star Wars just because I kind of sat down and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker because I'll buy this Star Wars right now. And then when the next Star Wars comes out, I'm going to buy that one, too. And so on and so on. <laughs> and then when they come out with the box set, I'm going to end up buying that box set. Because, you know, there's going to be like 20 versions of that. Right. So... That was actually the first one I got digital download, and I was like, you know, I'm just going to do digital download. I didn't mind it, but it was a drag to have to fast forward through all the special features just to watch the deleted scenes. And you have to sit there and find it. And it was like, ugh, really? So if you're doing it solely for the special features, then I don't recommend digital download. So one question I always like to ask my guests what was your first comic book or what was the book that you read that kind of got you really excited and want to maybe do your own books one day? It was Fantastic Four and it was by John Prynne and it was the issue where you see Galactus on the cover getting knocked down by, I believe, the thing and you have Thor, Captain America... A whole bunch of superheroes are around him, and um, for me, it was the most captivating image I had ever seen. I, I grew up being a huge John Byrne fan. It was Fantastic Four 243, and uh, Uncanny X-Men issue 211 through 213. Those were the most pivotal comic books of my life. Visually, they were stunning to me. But I'd say that when I realized that I wanted to actually draw comic books was when I read my first Todd McFarlane Spider-Man. I was engulfed. I was like, dude, this guy can draw Spider-Man. Like, I didn't even know Spider-Man looked so damn cool. <laughs> At the time, it was, you know, Batman had was coming out soon. I believe around that time period, you know, Tim Burton did Batman. And it was this certain feeling that things could be a little bit darker and yet kind of fun. And I was completely engulfed in that. I thought his take on all these characters was so fun. And, you know, like the chameleon, and, uh, the issue when he fights uh, the Hulk and he has the, the cosmic powers and he punches the Hulk up into space. I was like, this guy right here. If I were to ever be able to meet any artist and I would probably get like nerded out, it would be John Brand. I would be like, holy shit. Like, let me roll this red carpet that I have in, in my car out for you. <laughs> Just give me five minutes. I'm going to go set it up. <laughs> it would be pretty cool. Me, it would be, um, when I was a kid, we lived in New York. Dad would take me to the drugstore. You know, they had a old spinner rack. Comics were like, I want to say 75 to 85 cents from what I can remember. They basically, I would get on the spinner rack and buy, it was one of three titles like every month. Um, it was either Spider-Man, Power Man and Iron Fist, 
or uh, Hulk. And if they didn't have those three, I'd get whatever. Like, I got some detective comics and stuff like that. But DC wasn't really big in the area of New York that I was from. It was more Marvel stuff. So I think it was like Hulk 307. It's got a Magnola cover, and he fought the UFOs. That was probably my first comic book that I remember reading over and over and thinking it was just the best. Now, I didn't find out I wanted to do comics until my son was old enough to come to the comic store with me. So around when he's around four, he's about six now. He's going to be seven. He said something to me one day, which which had to do with my job, which is uh, he's like, you know, I really wish you were home more because you work a lot and I don't see a lot because of work. And I said, well, what's a way I can do work and still be at home? And basically that's uh, by doing comic books. So when the, they said the cow talent hunt, you know, I'm going to give this a shot because I, I, I had some screenwriting in my in my background for school and I heard it was a, a lot like writing a screenplay. But I didn't know how much work went into it. Right. If it wasn't for my son, I could say I honestly wouldn't have started down the path to look at stuff. I really want to be home more with him. Miss a lot of his childhood. And I had been reading comics by taking him to the comic book store, but most of the stuff I've been reading is like Image. and I, I found my taste have changed. In the uh, the Marvel Black Panther book by uh, Brian Stelfreeze. Oh, yeah. That's a great one. It's awesome. Uh, it's really awesome. I don't want to butcher the uh, author's name. Uh, Tanisi Coates, Tanisi Coates. Yes, that's it. I just didn't want to butcher his name um, because his writing's awesome too. Like the whole premise of the book, and the, I'll, I'll grab stuff like that. But uh, for the most part, you know, I'm not many books from the big two. Sixth Gun is a great book. I'm a really big fan of that series, and when I heard about Oathbound, that's the first thing I thought of. And it's like, you know what? I love that there's this really cool. It's almost like a subgenre in itself in comics, where there's a lot of either fantasy or alternate takes on westerns, and it's just like that weird marriage that I've always appreciated when it's done. So yeah, that one really grabbed my attention. Funny that you say that because um, last year at Heroes, I actually had a chance to talk to Colin, and I said I was so afraid to read this. Because I was so afraid that our ideas were very similar. People had said that to both of us. Like, hey, kind of, it's kind of like the sixth gun. And when I told him the premise, he goes, no, our books, they're, they're nothing alike. Mine's more like a spooky old western. You know what the sixth gun reminds me of? It reminds me of Young Guns mixed with Frighteners. Wow, that's a pretty spot-on description. And it's really, really cool. I When Kevin sent me that, that book, because... Again, Kevin was really concerned about that, and I was laughing. So I was like, "Jesus, dude! Like, there's so many things that are similar out there. There's really no original idea. Everything is a carbon copy of something. There's nothing really original out there. And so everything is influenced by something. Is what I'm trying to get at. When Kevin was telling me about that, I was like, "Just read it, dude. Just read it and check it out." And he read it. He's like, "It's really good. You got to check it out." And he sent me a copy for my birthday one year, and I sat down and I read the whole thing and i was like dude this yeah, it's awesome it, but it, but they're nothing alike so it's really cool yeah that's what I, said. I was like you you really have nothing to worry about it's nowhere near what we're doing and it was a big sigh of relief but at the same time this dude is, this is cool yeah we have to read so cool like, <laughs> we call each other on the phone i'm like did you finish reading it he's like yeah i was like what do you think he's like oh my god it's so good yeah it's, it's, <laughs> dude, it's very, awesome written, very well written uh, we were very happy that it wasn't like like Oathbound at all, but in a way, like we were also glad that he paved that trail for us. Uh, basically, him and like Kelly Sudeconic by doing Pretty Deadly, they're the trailblazers. Like we're basically, I wouldn't want to say following in their footsteps because the book's not at all at all alike. And both of them said that like uh, like Pretty Deadly is nothing like. And Kelly Sue had like a lot of nice things to say about Oathbound. Colin had a lot of nice things to say too. But the thing is that they were like, but your book is not like ours. Um, and we're I'm glad that you read our books and and like took that into account and didn't want to like the big thing for paul and i is we weren't trying to bite anybody's style kevin i just have to point out though um if you don't mind me asking because uh where whereabouts did you grow up uh new york okay that makes perfect sense because when you said biting somebody's style i remember i used that term at work one day like a year or two ago and someone's like wait biting they're like what are you talking about and they had no idea what i was saying and i'm like okay like and they looked at me like i had made that term up i'm like no because like i'm from northeastern new jersey like we say it all the time <laughs> yeah it's a it's a it's a east coast like new york thing like i'll say biting somebody's style or uh like when i say awesome like you can tell i'm not from <clears throat> I live in Virginia, and people are like, you know, when you say words like ta and uh, awesome and coffee, like, I know you're not from Virginia. <laughs> so 
I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm not, but I don't have an accent. I don't have a southern accent. I don't have a northern accent. I'm kind of somewhere in between. Thank you for that extra bit of validation there. I thank you so much. Because for the longest time, they would throw it back in my face like, you made that term up. I'm like, wait, what? How are you lived in this area so long and never heard that before? Oh, you're still there. So that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> you're still there. I was like, yeah. I mean, no, no. I mean, because my, my girlfriend's from Jersey. So, like, it's kind of funny. Oh, like, what, what part? Uh, I don't know. All I know, it's like, like, I, I think it's like where there's majority of farms. I don't really know. It's, it's from, uh, some part of Jersey where there's a lot of farms cause she's, she used to do horse breeding and racing. Well, that's really cool though. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy. Cause I would tease her when we first met about being from Jersey. Cause that's what New Yorkers do. Oh yeah. Cause my girlfriend, she's grew up in Harlem, but she's out in Long Island and well, I'm out here and I never realized how much I miss New Jersey until I wasn't there anymore. <laughs> No, I've heard New Jersey is a great state. I just tease. I got. I don't really have any animosity towards New Jersey. I'm not. I'm not that much of a New Yorker. I was only there till I was 12. But uh, at the same time, oh, I was gonna say that's that's fine. You're good then. <laughs> I, I just make jokes. Like I was teasing her. I was like, oh, bridge and tunnel people like Kevin Smith. I was making fun, but um, she got the <laughs> jokes and it was okay. And like as, as long as people know, I've just played around. Like I don't. Even if you're not, though, I'm still so used to that. I mean, considering that every weekend I would come here, especially during the last two years we've been dating, you know, the Rangers have been doing exceptionally well in the NHL. So to be on the drunk train at like 11 o'clock at night coming into, you know, the city with a bunch of like drunken Rangers fans. Meanwhile, I'm like ducking down because like I feel like they can smell the devil's fan on me. Oh, you got the jersey. You got the devil's jersey on. My girlfriend's got a devil's oh, jersey yeah. in a hat. So it's, it's so funny because I was teasing her. She's like. She's like, I'm going to make you wear a, a devil's jersey and a hat. I was like, the jersey's cool. I, I like the way it looks. So, I mean, I'll, I'll wear a devil's jersey. I don't have any problems. Uh, I, I'm not a rain fan. So, I was like, uh, I'm glad they're doing good, but I'm not going to be uh, that guy that's going to be like, no, I won't. Because she's like, you're going to have to succumb to one of my fandoms. You're going to have to like the Chicago Bears or the Jersey Devils. And I'm like, oh, no, go to the Devils. The devil's jersey. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Devils because their jersey's cool. Like, I could wear a devil's hat and be all right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're going to have any problem if you wear a Bears jersey around here, but it's just more of the, oh, poor guy. I tease her about that, too. I haven't watched football in a long time. There's not enough time for all the things you want to do. So I was like, something has to go. Uh, like, football's got to go. So, like, I, I used to watch MMA. Every now and then I'll get lucky enough to check out MMA at, like, Buffalo Wild Wings or something. But uh, still, it's not at the level I used to be able to participate in those things i'm just now starting to watch mma and i don't really even know like a lot of the fighters all i just know is nine to ten times if there's a match on i'll probably watch it but i could not tell you you know who's one of the best fighters or you know what those standings are any of that it's just that nine to ten times there's either beer and wings and someone's punching each other and that's usually good for me it's good enough right i'm, I'm with you i'm with you because like I, I liked conor mcgregor for a while um and I, I don't dislike him i just it's just one of those things that i'm not gonna go Every, every time to Buffalo Wild Wings. I'm going to try to go when I can, but for the most part, you know, writing comics takes precedence over that. <laughs> or just bring the comics to Buffalo Wild Wings, you know? <laughs> I don't know how, how well that would go over, man. I really don't, because, like, I mean, I will get wings on my comic books. I'm not a well, how about this way? Instead of pricking your finger, we'll just be like one in every like 50 copies of Oathbound will receive, you know, wing sauce stains. Oh, so mango habanero on your book. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> See, look at it this way. At first, it seems like a mistake, but then when the book takes off and you're super successful, oh my gosh, like it'll be a, its own collector's item. <laughs> I, I would only hope it takes off and, and becomes super successful. I'm, I'm sure Paul would agree with me. I mean, that's what we hope for. We hope that people really enjoy it. Because I'm sure there was like a wing sauce stained copy of like a John Byrne book or like, you know, oh, I'm sure Paul would buy that. <laughs> Paul would buy it, yes. I'd buy it and I'd lick that little stain continuously. <laughs> he oh. impart some John Byrne-ness into himself by, by, uh, oh by licking the stain on the book. <laughs> John, Byrne. John Byrne, if you're listening, which I highly doubt you are, but if you are, I love you. Uh -huh. <laughs> How you just creeped him oh. out, man? You went too far. <laughs> you went too far, man. I just want to shake his hand and get a little tiny. Well, now you'll never get to. Cut a little be like, piece that guy's of his creepy. hair and then put that little hair in a baggie and then. <laughs> yeah, you're 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 creeping. I'm joking. I know. No, you like? Are you Paul Gorey? He's like, no, I'm Gal Pori. Like, <laughs> Uh, no, my name's Tim. <laughs> <laughs> or be like, next you know, like for some reason you're about to get attacked. Like, no, my name's Kevin Cobb. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, that's oh, man. right over there. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. You have to grow oh, the beard. Oh, you out. guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Kevin, Paul, thank you guys for taking the time out to chat with me. I had so much fun doing this. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah, we had a great time, man. Thank you. Anytime. And, and thank you for helping me geek out about spaghetti westerns. And now I really have to get up to snuff here because I'm, like I said, I'm so behind. Well, feel free to message me whenever and I'll give you a. Uh... I'll give you the gory list. I'll give you the list. (laughs) The gory details. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was bad. How many times have you gotten that line? Honestly, never. I've never. Oh. Honestly, no. (laughs) I feel like that's a missed opportunity. No, that stuff doesn't bother me. I mean, that's just one of those things. I have that last name, and it's just one of those things that I'm like, eh. You know, it's a word. I can't control it, but it, it doesn't offend me at all, at all. When I was in high school, I had a this gal that I was totally infatuated with, and she would always we would joke around in in, uh, in science class, and she'd always be like, "Dad, I just saw a movie last night. It was so gory," and I would just laugh. I'd just be like, well, "You're so dumb," but I just totally want to make fun of your face. <laughs> better than it's better than being called coffee. Like we'll mispronounce my name. It's really terrible. I have never mispronounced your last name. I'm no, you have. Uh, I'm just saying, like that's the general thing. Is like, uh, do I say kufe? Is it kuf? Uh, is it is it kufi? I always go. Just pretend the e isn't there, and they're oh, that's much easier. Why don't you do that? I'm like, because because e <laughs> you know what it was. I I actually when I first saw your last name, I was so intimidated because I was like, I don't want to mispronounce that. But then I kind of just stared at it, and I was like, that e's there to fuck with me. <laughs> the e is supposed to be like an old like, English thing. I was like, your last name, you even put me to the. He's like, how do you think you say my last name? I'm like, Cuff. And you're like, oh, whoa, really? I was like, oh, yeah. He's somehow more offended that you said it right. Well, I mean, oh, no, it, I, it I put a pronunciation on my Facebook for that reason. <laughs> it made logical sense to me that he was asking me, how do you say my last name? So in my head, it just computed, well, people mispronounce his name, and it looks like it would be pronounced Cuffy, but that E is just fucking with me. So I said, Cuff. And he goes, you're right. And I go, I know I'm right. <laughs> That's what happens all the time, though, man. It really does. Uh, so it's really funny to me because um, the E's technically um, not on my dad's birth certificate. It's just C-U-F-F. Um, my grandfather added it uh, with a chiropractor in New York. And I guess his building was next to a Chinese laundromat. And they used to, used to say cuffs, C-U-F-F-S, and collars. He put his name up there as uh, James Edward Cuff um, with an E on the end to to uh, establish himself from the laundromat. I was like, you ruined it for every, every generation after you. Nah. <laughs> you know what he was doing. <laughs> Super intelligent grandfather you had right there. <laughs> he basically paved the road for people fucking with you for the rest of your life. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and now that's that, you having like the biggest, like you're so <laughs> self-conscious about that. Like it's the funniest thing. Cause Kevin's always like, I can't stand it when people say cuffy and I'm, I just laugh. I'm like, I almost did, too. I mean, it happens all the time. It's not that it bothers me, per se, but I just want to make it clear so they don't do it, like, all the time. Because if you don't correct them, they keep doing it. So it's like, I'm not trying to correct you to be, like, a smartass, but I'm going to correct you because I'd rather you say it right if you're going to say it. If you're not going to say it, just call me Kevin. I'm fine. Like, that's it. If you can't say it or you don't want to pronounce it right, I'm cool with that. But don't go, like, like the substitute teachers are the worst in school. Uh, Kevin Kufe. Oh, well, that got fancy quick. That sounds so fancy, though. You know, it really it does. But then you're going to have to get, like, a twirly mustache or something. You can't yeah. just have, like, a regular beard. Do it. Oh, now you're going to have to do that. See, that's that's your new hook. <laughs> that was going to be fancy? I mean... Yeah, like I said, get, like, a twirly mustache. Oh, man, that's... A, the twirly mustache, the gentleman's mustache is all Gory's gimmick. I can't take that from him. No, you're uh. welcome to take it, my friend. <laughs> He's like, take, take this curse away from me. <laughs> The, the fancy gentleman's mustache. Uh, oh, I would rather just, I just call it the Ninja E at the end of the name. It's silent. Silent E. It's a ninja. Or just start finding like ways to like work in really bad puns. Like if they're great <laughs> details, it'll be like you start your own podcast called like Off the Cuff or something like that. Uh, I would be Custa Rhymes. That's what I would be. Not my first choice, but you know what? I, I would listen to that show if for no other reason than the title is amazing. <laughs> 
I mean, if I had to be a rapper, I'd be Custa Rhymes. And I joke with Bobby, who co-wrote the Elvis book. He's notorious B.O.B. I really can't knock it, though, to be honest with you. I, I grew up, when I was younger, I had a really big complex with my last name. Now I've learned to embrace it. I'm just like, whatever. My last name's Corey. What, what, what can I do about it, you know? I mean, at least Adrian has an easy last name, King. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, the only problem is, though, I lose that with my very, like, my actual first name, which is uh, Ronald. Okay. Yeah, and it's not that Ronald McDonald's the worst thing. I mean, consider that guy is responsible for most of my body fat. Um, it's like you have McDonald's and Burger King in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then if you if you just use your middle name, it's AK. You could be a rapper, son. Oh, Wait, AK. how have I never? Damn. I never yeah. thought of that in my thirty-one years on this earth, and I'm just now figuring out. Hey. <clears throat> I could have, wow, see, my entire life would have been different if I figured that out at a younger age. Just, yeah. You just throw down some nerdcore, man. Get some well, nerdcore rap. at least your initials aren't PG. I got a lot of jokes on that one. That's okay. Well, my initials are rack, so unfortunately, it's like for everything that's given, something's taken away. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's an important metaphor for life, because, like, you know, you get to a certain point, like, oh. one step forward, two steps back. Oh, that's the funniest awesome. Oh, shoot. Sure. I feel awesome. so bad, though. We mentioned Elvis. We didn't even get a chance to talk about the Elvis book, but I guess oh, we may well, have. We'll just do a different one. Me and me, and me, you and Bobby will talk about Elvis. Like, I Oh, mean, perfect. It's, it's totally fine. Like, um, this was supposed to be about Oathbound, and I like doing them separately because um, it's easier for people to, to deal with, you know, separately. You know? Right. Um, right. There are two separate books, and they're two separate vibes. Elvis is really silly and funny. Uh, not that Oathbound's not. That, that doesn't have humor. It does. It's just not the primary focus of the book. The, the primary focus of Elvis was just because Paul was doing another book, and I and Bob, and Bob who he wrote Monty the Dinosaur for Action Lab, and he didn't have anything to do. And so we just started just bullshitting one day, and I was like, you know, I just want to do something stupid just to do it. And he was like, well, what were you thinking? I was like, well, I just saw a man from Uncle, and I was thinking, like, Henry Cavill could be, like, a great, like, Elvis secret agent. Like, so Elvis would be the James Bond of the U.S., but kind of like an unwitting, like, James Bond, like, kind of not with it and not and not super smooth when he's an agent, just super smooth when he's a singer. And he and Bobby expanded on the idea until it got more and more ridiculous until it got to the point where it was uh, Elvis Kung Fu fighting alien. Um, <laughs> nice. And we just wanted to do something fun because the whole, like, premise of like, a lot of the DC books is very dark. And I was right. like, I don't mind dark. Like, dark is good. I, I don't necessarily write dark, but um, I, that's cool. But I want to do something just fun, just because it's fun to do. Be as silly as possible with, and up, up each other's ridiculousness. That's funny. You wanted to do something lighthearted and funny, and I wanted to do something super dark. Yep. Because you did, you did do like he Paul went to go do Astro Punk, and it's very dark. It's much darker. Uh, that was on my bucket list, but Psychopath is the one that I. Oh, that one's dark too. Yeah. So I mean, he went to do something dark. Yeah, well, I guess dark. it's the namesake. It kind of just comes with the territory. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he he did that with Stephanie and uh, Stephanie Maynard, uh, one of your fellow podcasters, uh, and, and he let me take a look at it, and I was like, "This looks really great, man. You did a good job. It is, and it, but it, the story is very dark. So." He got to do something very dark, but he had showed me Astro Punk, and I was like, this is great, dude. You did awesome on this. One good thing about us working on other stuff and stuff like that, we're both very supportive of each other. Bromance. Yeah, it's part of the bromance, yeah. It comes with it, because like, it's one of those things that we realize we can't work on everything together. And we also realize that, uh, that branching out and working with different people helps expand our circles and our careers, per se. Like, I, I mean, I don't want to just be known as that guy who writes spaghetti western and or fantasy. I, I want publishers to be like, I can bring this guy anything and he can do it. That's my eventual goal. And I know his goal is sort of the same, like he wanted to do. Because if, if you look at the three things that he's done, I would say Paul's work is different on Psychopath than it is on Astropunk than it is on Oathbound. It's, they're all different, but they fit. He didn't change his style per se, like it's still, you know, distinctly Paul Gorey's art. But when you look at the actual way he's doing the, the panels for those, they're, they're all very different. Before we go, though, please, 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 in the spirit of shameless self-promotion, please tell everybody where they could find you and your work online. On Facebook at uh, Gorey's Art. Um, you can search. Um, it's under Paul Gorey Artist. And then you can find me on twitter and i believe it's at paul glory and you can find our oathbound website at oathboundcomic.com 
We have a Facebook page. We also have a Facebook page, and the Facebook page is... Oathbound the Fantasy Western comic book. Yeah, correct. Oathbound the Western Fantasy comic book. And I'm at, uh, on, on Facebook, it's just Kevin Cuff with that Ninja E on there. If you don't put the Ninja E in, you might find some other dude, some other guy <laughs> who's, who's Irish. <laughs> um, and um, on Twitter, it's at Kevin underscore Cuff. For everybody else, uh, please stick around after the theme to hear all of my social networking details. But for now, that will do it for this episode of Adrian Has Issues, and we will see you next issue. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm His Issues. Wait, what? Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm... Wait, wait, that's not right. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm Eileen. Tune in to the Adrian Has Issues podcast. Each week we chat with some great people. Including me from time to time. Comic book creators, comedians. Musicians and actors. Tax collectors, Zamboni drivers. (sighs) Point is, basically anyone willing to sit down for a geeky discussion or two on all things pop culture. Visit AdrianHasIssues.com where you can download and stream every episode. Especially the ones featuring yours truly. Visit Adrian Has Issues on Facebook and Twitter. And subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Please leave a rating and review and tell me how amazing I am. Us. I mean us. Ah, oh, McKenna, you're way cooler than I am anyway. Aw, oh, thanks, babe. Oh, and Adrian Has Issues is also a proud member of the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. Awesome. Nice save, Brodor. <sighs> Visit AdrianHasIssues.com.